All right, good evening. It is um, Wednesday afternoon at 5 o'clock, and uh, we are coming to you live from Heritage Christian Center, discipleship class number seven. I had uh, somebody last week, they reached out to me after the class. They said, Pastor Mark, I cannot believe we've already had uh, six classes. And so uh, the time does seem to go by rather quickly while we, you know, when we're doing this. Uh, somebody said time flies when you're having fun. So uh, hopefully that's the case and you're enjoying uh, these classes and our time together. It's been a very uh, productive few weeks here at the church and things that are happening at the foundry and of course with my family and uh, we are uh, blessed and thankful. The Lord continues to to not just bless us. I told the congregation on Sunday morning, we're not just uh, surviving, uh, we are thriving even during a, a time of political unrest, social unrest, pandemic, uh, economic downturn, so forth and so on. So we are grateful. It's the hand of God upon our lives. We recognize that and are happy to announce it and give testimony to that. Also, by the way, just because I can and I should, amen, part of my assignment as a minister of the gospel is to publish the devil's defeat, to let everybody know that he has been defeated. And sometimes you look at what's going on in the world around us and you think, well, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't look like he's defeated to me, Pastor Mark. Well, Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Amen. And so we have the victory over Him. Well, we've got a lot to cover tonight. If you'll notice uh, class number seven, the subtitle is The Word of Reconciliation, Part One. Now, last week, uh, we took a deep dive into the scriptures to, to look at the, at the ministry of reconciliation. And we said that that's the ministry that every born-again believer has, has been called to, has been given, literally given by, the, by, by our Creator Father. And tonight we're going to begin, and it's part one because it'll take us at least two sessions uh, to cover the word of reconciliation. And as is the case with the things of God, this, this is very, very important. So um, let's pray, and we will uh, get into uh, tonight's class. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Father, we are who we are tonight by the grace of God. Lord, we are who we are because of who you are and because of what you've done for us, Lord. You created us, you redeemed us, you recreated us in Christ Jesus. You gave us new birth and made us new creations. And so, Father, we've uh, come before you and we've come before your word tonight with, with humility, with reverence, with respect, with honor, Father, esteeming and valuing your word properly and what it is and what it means to our lives. And we thank you, Father, that we're going to receive, Lord, from you and from your word tonight. We, we just go ahead and declare by faith, declaring the outcome from uh, the beginning, Father, that, that, that we are going to receive life-changing truth in our inward parts tonight that will renew our minds, change our lives, strengthen us, empower us, enable us, Lord, to do all that you've called and created us to do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed with me saying amen and amen. All right, just a, a couple of things I like to review. One, just because I like to review, but number two, just to keep these things in the forefront of your heart and mind uh, as we continue to build uh, on these truths that we've covered up, un up until you know, right now. Um, I noticed we had uh, uh, a few people that uh, recently registered online, like in the last couple of days. And so if that's you, welcome. This is class number seven. The other six are archived, and you're welcome to go back and, um, you know, and watch those uh, at your own pace uh, if you'd like to get caught up. There's things that we will reference in tonight's class that we talked about extensively, exhaustively 
uh, last week and maybe even the week uh, prior to that. But first of all, if I could just remind you that every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, not just the pastor and the prophet and the evangelist. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And we said that when it comes to our growth, a giant step towards greater maturity is when you self and serve someone else. As a matter of fact, you'll never grow and develop until you take this step. So we came to this conclusion from the Scriptures. Ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. If you refuse to do it, it will literally put a cap on how much you can grow up into the things of God and the things that Father God has for you. Now last week we uh, talked about the ministry of reconciliation. And so tonight I'm going to ask you to go back with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. I have no volume. Praise God. Amen. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. All right, we're getting reports that we're having volume issues. We sure? There's no sound at all. I've got the right transmitter. It's on. Fresh batteries. Praise God. All right, let's see what we can uh, fix here. Not muted. Testing one, two. I'm getting register. On here, no register here. I bet this isn't plugged in tight enough. Oh, you know what? I know what it was, John Man. Um, we muted this Sunday. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. All right, that should have done it there. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two. All right. Amen. Okay. <laughs> wow. Everything that I just said was really, really important. Um, listen, I'm, I am an open book, okay? And, and sometimes people accuse me of being a little too uh, open with things. So I'll tell you what happened. The camera that I'm using now has become the second, it's double, doing double duty. It's become the second camera in our Sunday morning live stream from the sanctuary. And in order for that to work, we have to mute the microphone and the sound through the broadcast unit that we use, or else this little bitty microphone, this little bitty camera will take over the entire sound system in the sanctuary. And um, since that's the first time we did it, this is obviously the first time we forgot, and the last time in Jesus' name, uh, to turn those microphones and sound inputs back on. So, praise the name of the living God. Um, I had a lot of good things to say to you. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what, all of that will be captured, uh, the first, uh, what was it, six minutes of, of this class, uh, and it was just some review and some, just some personal things that I was, you know, amen, going over with you, but that will be on the podcast audio version, so uh, no pressure, if you'd like to go back and get that, that's fine, but in reality, you haven't missed anything. I did welcome, by the way, for those of you who are new to the class, uh, and man, please accept my apology. Uh, I can only imagine folks, you know, hitting their volume buttons, looking at their phones, their devices, their iPads to see, you know, why they weren't getting any audio. And it was, it was uh, like when, that, when the quarterback misses that sure touchdown by overthrowing it, you know, he points to himself. So I'm pointing to me. Um, that is, uh, is my bad. So anyway, so last week we, uh, we talked about the ministry of reconciliation. And I want us to go back to that in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, tonight. Now, last week we took it verse by verse, in some cases phrase by phrase, and even in other cases word by word, 
Um, and we, we uh, went through these passages exhaustively. Uh, I'm not going to do that again tonight, but I do want to read them, and I'll probably read them again next week as well, um, because I want you to become familiar with these verses and the foundational teachings that intersect here. And that was one of the key things that we emphasized last week, was how many different um, crucial, really, really important New Testament uh, teachings and doctrines all come together mentioned in, in, in different ways uh, in these uh, collection of, of verses. And it's interesting that all of this uh, connects around this idea that we are uh, ministers of reconciliation. So let's uh, jump in, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, in light of what we just read in the scriptures, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now... All things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Notice this past tense there. He not, it's not that He is reconciling or will reconcile, but if you've been born again, you have been, past tense, reconciled. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So there it is. Father God has given to you as a born-again believer the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this this evening, and we talked about it last week, and I want to continue to expand your understanding of this. When we talk about the ministry of reconciliation, this is certainly a, a ministry uh, that you've been given uh, that would be ministering to other people who've been born again. In other words, people who are in the body of Christ who already have received salvation. But because God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, the ministry of reconciliation extends beyond the four walls of the church. The ministry of reconciliation is both to those who um, have not been uh, born again, who have not heard the gospel message and, and received salvation, as well as to those who have and will Again, dig into that a little deeper tonight. Let's keep going here. Uh, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the last phrase in verse 18 was the title of last week's class. Last uh, phrase in verse 19 is the title of this week's class, the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, speaking of Jesus as our substitute, His substitutionary work, big word, but it's an important word. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I may not read both uh, translations every week, but I do tonight once again I'm going to read these same verses to you from the Passion Translation. So, um, let's go through it. Praise God. Starting again at verse 14. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. 
because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us, this means all died with Him. So that those who live should live no longer for, uh, should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him, the One who died for us and now lives again. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the Anointed One, but no longer do we see Him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, He has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Um, Let's keep going. Verse 18. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the Anointed One that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and He has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 20. We are ambassadors of the Anointed One who carry the message of Christ to the world, as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who died... um, so that we who did not know righteousness, I'm sorry, might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. So, just real quick, we said reconciliation means to be reestablished in a close relationship between. We looked at some other things. Uh, we, we used the word in its usage you know, pertaining to accounting, reconciling a checkbook, and we said that's when you take the registry in your checkbook and you bring it into alignment with a statement that you receive from the bank. So reconciliation then has to do with this idea of alignment. Now, we did not read these verses last week, and I skipped over them uh, deliberately because there were so many other things I wanted to try to get to. So just so that, I mean, obviously the Word of God is important in, in every aspect, but I want you to see that this is not the only place, and as we go throughout our study, I'll show you other places in the Bible where reconciliation, being reconciled to God, is mentioned. But for tonight, and in our study tonight, let's go uh, over quickly, please, to Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 19. Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 19. we begin at verse 19 uh, and look at a few verses here. Praise God. All right, so Colossians uh, 1, beginning at verse 19. It says this, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And this is speaking of Jesus, that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. And by Him, Jesus, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. So what does this mean then? And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has He reconciled. Alienated means to be separated from. You know, we talk about an alien from another planet. In other words, if, if, if there ever was a Martian on this planet, obviously they'd be an alien separated from uh, you know, their homeland. So, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now... He has reconciled. I just want to point something out to you real quick, and I'll move on quickly, okay? That we often think in terms of 
what we did to separate ourselves from God was just in our works. In other words, sin that we committed, things that we did wrong. Notice that it wasn't just that we were uh, enemies because of what we did, but we also were enemies in our minds. In other words, it, our, our issues went deeper than just our behavior. Um, sin and living separated from God uh, affected and influenced the way we think. And so when a person's born again, their spirit is made completely new. But like we said last week, when he says all things became new, he wasn't talking about my physical body. I, I had brown eyes before I was born again, had brown eyes afterwards. And he's not talking about my mind. Um, certainly I have a, a, a new ability because I'm born again to understand and hear God, uh, both His Spirit inside of me speaking to me as well as uh, people on the outside of me speaking to me or the Holy Spirit speaking to me you know, from the Word of God. So this is important. We'll talk about it here in just a moment. So once again, and you who once were, once meaning that's, that's how it used to be. It's not how it is anymore because we have been reconciled. And you who once were alienated, separated from God, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Alright, now last week, and I think I even made mention that if I had a dry erase board, well guess what, I have a digital dry erase board. And this is what I... I, I was imagining in my mind um, that I wanted to put on a screen so that you could visualize it. We said that when we're talking about the ministry of reconciliation, we're talking about two main branches of ministry. The first being the new birth, or we could put out beside that in parentheses, salvation. The second branch of the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of discipleship. Remember, Jesus told us to go and preach the gospel so that people could be saved, and He also told us to go and make disciples. So when the Bible says you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, it would include both branches. Both branches of the ministry of reconciliation have been given to you. And we said that when we talk about the new birth, this is, uh, this is what removes the, the disagreement the, the key word we gave last week was enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y. Uh, you know, all that separated us from God, when we're born again, that is instantly and completely uh, taken out of the way, and you in that moment become one with Him. So once again, it's not that you and God become just like this. You and God become just like this, okay? Now, we also see, though, this second branch. And the second branch is discipleship. In the same way that we could say with the new birth, we could put out beside it in parentheses salvation. With discipleship, we could put out beside it in parentheses renewing of the mind. Now, discipleship is, listen to me, we've already covered a lot of this, but discipleship is certainly more than uh, renewing of the mind. But if, if, if I wanted to, to try to communicate in, in just one simple phrase what discipleship is and what's the heart of it, the heart of discipleship is renewing the mind. In, in other words, when you became born again, you became something that your mind and thinking has not caught up with yet. You received something and, and were given things by God that your mind doesn't even know about yet. And again, there's all kind of verses when we get to that section. I'll show you those. So when we talk about you know, discipleship, 
at the heart of it is renewing the mind. I know we said uncommon commitment. I know we said all those other things. But notice how renewing the mind is, is such a central part of this. Let me say it another way, okay? Um, there, it's impossible for you to grow in the things of God uh, if, if you're not growing in this area of your mind being renewed or reconditioned. So, we said that the, um, the new birth removes the enmity, the, the separation between you and God, but discipleship is about the enmity that exists within us. Discipleship is about, if we wanted to use that word between again, it's not that there's enmity, disagreement, lack of harmony between your born-again spirit and God, but there's still a lingering disagreement, lack of harmony, enmity between your born-again spirit and your thinking. All right? And so discipleship, again, is the process whereby that is, for lack of a better term, cleaned up, corrected, renewed, or let's go back to our reconciliation. You got the statement, you got the bank account registry, and you got to do some accounting to get this thing back into alignment with one another, all right? Now, I want to show you both branches um, uh, in the following verses. And I'm going to do this real quick. If you just want to jot them down rather than just taking the time uh, to, um, to look every one of them up. First of all, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, that's the branch of, of salvation or the new birth, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That would be that second branch of discipleship. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So Paul labored among them the first time to see them receive salvation. Now, as a minister of reconciliation himself, he is laboring again to see that secondary, when I say secondary, that, that, that other branch. It's not, I mean, obviously you can't have discipleship without salvation, but I'm not trying to, you understand what I'm saying. So secondary, coming in, with um, Christ being formed in them. In other words, the reality of their new birth becoming an outward expression of life. This is one of my favorites. i got lots of favorites. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we see that the work that God uh, started in your life through Jesus, it began with the new birth. But now he's saying that he's committed to you because you're his now to see that ongoing work of, of renewing the mind and discipleship uh, through to completion until Jesus returns. I've got another one. Philippians chapter 2, let's look at this one, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So when he says work out your own salvation, you know, we think of somebody working out maybe as going to the gym and lifting weights. They got a good workout in. Um, when, you know, we hear work out, we think, well, somebody's got uh, some kind of issue with another person that they need to work out. You need to get that worked out. We need to get that problem worked out. Um, here, it, it means something slightly different. He's talking about what's already in you being, again, realized on the outside of you. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. So we see the two branches here once again. He's done this work in you. Now we want to see that inward work worked out in 
Like, for instance, you know, when what happened in your spirit starts to influence the way you talk to your wife. When, when the new birth inside of you uh, starts to influence the way you manage your money. This would be the salvation in you working its way out of you uh, and, and influencing the way you live and the things that you do. Guess what? Another favorite. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, this is speaking of Jesus offering Himself for our sin, for by one offering He has perfected forever. That word perfected means completed. For by one offering He has completed, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, to be sanctified means to be set apart from one thing to another. So he says that we're being set apart from the world, the ways of the world, the thinking, the actions, the behavior of the world, to the ways and the thinking and the actions of God's kingdom and what it is uh, for a a born-again man, a born-again woman, how it is for them to think and act and behave. So notice, though, he says by one offering, when you receive salvation, the real you, your spirit deep inside of you, was completed and perfected forever. Past tense. Has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So in this passage, we see both the completed work of salvation and the ongoing work of discipleship. Now, I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 18. We're going to um, we're going to focus in on now the title of tonight's class, um, the Word of Reconciliation. All right. So, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eighteen. Once again, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us. The word of reconciliation. Now, if we were to keep reading, he talks there about when we are operating as ministers of reconciliation, utilizing the word of reconciliation, that it's as if God himself is speaking through us to other people, uh, imploring them to be reconciled to God. So, bottom line, we cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. Now, you don't have to do this. It's just a personal thing for me. But anytime I write the word, word, in reference to the word of God, I capitalize the W. Now, I've certainly been known to make typos and and, and those sorts of things in my slides, but that's not one, okay? And I do that out of honor, and you'll see why here in a few minutes. So we cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. Someone may ask, you know, what qualifies me to be in ministry? What qualifies me as a, you know, <laughs> I'm born again, but I'm no minister. Yes, yes, you are. That's what Father God, see, that's, that, that right there needs some reconciling in your life. Father God says you are, you say you're not. The statement from the bank says you are. Your life registry says you're not. And reconciliation would be for you to come into alignment with, with what God says is already true about you. So anyway, I can't, it just spills out of me when I have that opportunity to try to say that. So what qualifies you uh, to do the ministry of reconciliation is that you have been reconciled to God. And if you've been reconciled to God, you've been, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So it's not, it's not so much what, I mean, what qualifies you is important, 
But it's one thing to be given the ministry of reconciliation. It's another thing to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation. It, it, let, let's, let's, let's say, let's try to uh, maybe illustrate it this way. Let's say that some big corporation hired you tomorrow um, and, and you went and you started this job, right? You've got the job, but you don't know how to do the job. So even though you've got the title and the position and the responsibility, um, you don't yet have the tools that you need uh, to be effective. And of course, hopefully, you know, the, this hypothetical company is going to provide some training for you, some tools for you so that you can function in, uh, in, in that new job. So in the same way, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but in order for you to be successful, effective, even highly effective, we've got to learn how to use the word of reconciliation. So you can't do the ministry without the word, all right? And now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me come back, but let me just say this, all right? This means then, think with me, this means that if our effectiveness in the ministry of reconciliation is dependent upon our ability to use the word of reconciliation, the more we know, understand, and are able to apply the word of reconciliation, the more effective we're going to be in the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, one is dependent upon the other. So if you have come to terms with what the Bible says, that you are a minister, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, that you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and you're like, okay, I'm in. Um, how can I get started with this? How can I do a good job with this? Well, it depends upon your ability to rightly divide, skillfully apply the Word of God. And we'll break all that down, if not tonight, uh, what that means, uh, if not tonight, next week. So let me just, if I could, kind of cut through something here. The Word of Reconciliation is a beautifully descriptive way of saying the Word of God. In other words, the Word of God and the Word of Reconciliation, they are one and the same, okay? The Word of Reconciliation Again, the Holy Spirit wanted to paint that picture for us uh, where he, through the Apostle Paul, says you've been given the ministry of reconciliation and now the word of reconciliation has been committed to you to equip you to do that ministry uh, effectively and produce fruit for your Creator Father. Right Now, when we say that the ministry of reconciliation involves two branches, let's go back real quick new birth, and discipleship. And that you can't do either one without the word of reconciliation. Let me show you some verses, and I apologize if I'm kind of rapid-firing these. Uh, jot them down. Again, the video's free to access. The podcast, the audio, free to access. Um, I'm trying to set something up now. Uh, just praying about it. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty big job, but, but to take my notes and put them in some kind of form where um, I could even make those available to you. Please don't start asking email. It's still a week out. I can't believe I just said that, but maybe, amen, a gust of fate in my sails. Praise God. I, you know, I want to do anything I can to help you better understand, receive, uh, and process uh, these truths. Okay, so that's my heart. So when I go through these verses really fast, I'm not trying to leave you behind. I'm just trying to, you know, rapid-fire mode, make a really important point, not because it's my opinion, but because it's what the Word of God says. All right? So remember, what has to happen for a man or a woman to be born again? Well, it's real simple. They have to hear the gospel message, 
and then respond to it by faith. So let me show you what I mean by that. And He said to them, Mark 16, 15 and 16, And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So we proclaim the word of reconciliation to unbelievers, to folks who have not been born again. In order for them to be born again, we must proclaim what the Word of God says uh, that Jesus has done for them, that gospel message. Amen. If they never hear the gospel, they, can, they can't be saved. They don't, you know, here's what I'm saying. So it's got to be proclaimed. Let me show you another verse. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If we jump ten chapters ahead in the same book of Romans, Romans chapter 10 verse 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? A preacher just here is somebody that delivers the message. Okay, So notice in these two verses what we've looked at. The power of God to bring salvation to a lost man or woman resides within the message, that word of reconciliation. I can't save anybody, but Jesus has already done everything necessary to save everybody. My responsibility as a minister of reconciliation is to tell them. And if I will tell them that message of what Jesus has done for them, then a simple hearing, because faith comes by hearing is what the Bible tells us. So when they hear that message, the faith that God's put in them by every man, the Bible says in Romans 12, has been given the measure of faith, that faith is aroused, aroused and awakened, aroused and awakened, amen, aroused and awakened, and strengthened by hearing that word, so that they then have the wherewithal to call on the name of the Lord and receive that salvation. But they can't call on Him in whom they've not heard, and how can they hear about Him unless somebody goes and tells them? Okay? So, as we explained last week, removing the enmity between you and God is necessary. But then that second branch, removing the enmity within a person, between their spirit and soul, is also critically important. One is a completed work, already done. Uh, we're not working to be saved. We're not, we're not working on our salvation. We're not, we're not trying to be more saved today than we were yesterday. All that's ridiculous. It doesn't line up with the Scriptures. Okay? What we are putting our effort towards is cooperating together with the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Word of God as, and others that God's put into our lives to speak into our lives and help mentor and disciple us so that our minds can be renewed and, and these areas in our thinking where we still disagree with God, where we're still out of alignment with Him, those things through a process can be brought back into alignment. So that again is another way of explaining this second branch of the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let's do this. Um, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, let's turn there. Praise God. We'll give you a lot of verses tonight. That's nothing new on discipleship class. Amen. John chapter 1, verse number 1. Uh, some of my brothers and sisters at the foundry, they, uh, 
come to my classes there uh, in the mornings, and um, you know, they some of them may be scratching their heads, wondering where's you know 150 Bible verses on a you know Tuesday morning at the foundry. Well, Amen. Um, praise God. You know, we just be led by the Spirit, and sometimes you know, you guys that are participating in the discipleship class, you clearly have a much, let's just say it this way, you have a much bigger appetite uh, for the Word of God uh, than perhaps others. Now, that's not just my brothers and sisters at the Foundry. That's uh, practically everyone that's, um, that's tuned in uh, to these classes. There's an appetite, there's a hunger that you have for these things. And the Bible says if you hunger for them, you will be fed. Now, John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, it begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Now, if you notice in this verse, the W in Word is capitalized. That's because this is a reference to deity. It is uh, referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. Now, just open your heart up. Let the Holy Spirit help you tonight. Uh, he's going to help us. Uh, we're going to talk about that in ways that, that will enable you to take a leap of faith and connect with it. But the Bible says, first of all, in the beginning was the Word. And this is important. The Bible teaches us this in other places. But the idea that Jesus didn't come into existence until Christmas time, until He was born from the Virgin Mary, is, is a wrong understanding. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He has always been and He will always be. He is a third member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came to this earth, we celebrate that as Him leaving heaven and come to this earth. But remember, He came to this earth, but remember, after His death, burial, resurrection, He ascended back to the right hand of the throne and, and His Father there in heaven. So, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we were to keep reading here, we would see that He was an agent in creation. Nothing that was created was created without Him. Okay? Now, if we go down uh, to verse 14, so same chapter, I put them on the same slide, because uh, I wanted you to see them uh, in connection with one another. Uh, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is speaking of Jesus. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there are certain things in the Scripture that, how do I say this? Because they're spirit, they defy the ability for human words to capture them entirely. Uh, a classic example of this is something we just mentioned. That God is three, but at the same time He's one. And God is one, and at the same time He's three. We can use things uh, to try to illustrate that. One is like time. Time is past, it's present, and it's future. You can't have time if you don't have a past, a present, and a future. 
And there's others. I'm not here. We'll, there's time coming. We're going to dig into Trinity and what that looks like and what that means. Um, but Jesus being the Word of God is, an, is another one of those situations. Um, because we think of a word as something that's written or something that's spoken. And so how can a human being be something written or something spoken? And yet Jesus, um, when I say a human being, first of all, he, as God, he, you know, is the Word of God, was the Word of God. Um, as the Word, He was with God, and the Word was God. And then, of course, we see in verse 14 that the, the eternal Word of God, Son of God, Word of God, same, same, same person, amen, that He became flesh and dwelt among us. So, this is the, this is the best way, at least for now, and I'm always open for the Lord to show me better ways, amen, uh, to try and get you close on this. When I say get you close, there's just some things you have to understand by faith. Um, you know, when it comes to creation, um, every theory that man's come up with has one fatal error. Um, they're always, according to their theories, has to have been at least something. Or else the belief is absolutely everything came from absolutely nothing. So, you know, don't get me started on all that. So by faith we understand, though, is what the Bible says, that the world's are framed by the Word of God. Faith is a function of the heart, not the brain. So you never wrap your brain around it, but you can wrap your heart around it and understand it by faith, but not through logic and reason with the human brain. Okay? And so Jesus is the eternal Word of God, and He became flesh and dwelt among us. So what I want to try to do tonight is, is explain this in a way that will get you close and then your heart and your faith's going to just take you the rest of the way and you're going to be all excited tonight about the Word of God and who He is to you, okay? So, if we think in terms of just words in general, words express thoughts. So, right now, I'm speaking words that are originating inside my mind and I am communicating to you what's in my mind by speaking words, okay? So let me just show you here for a second, okay? I'm going to think about some really awesome things that would be really cool for you to know, okay? Watch this. See, even then I express myself, right, by nodding. But notice, I'm thinking about these things, but you'll never know what I'm thinking about unless I speak it out of my mouth to you. So words are an expression of thought, or we could say it another way. Words are an expression of mind or intelligence. Words reveal what someone is thinking. So when the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This means that Jesus is an expression of the mind of God in human, living, breathing form. Right? Now, this is very significant because if you ever want to know what God's thinking about a subject, go to 
the living, breathing expression of His mind in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and you will find exactly what God thinks about children, about sin, about racism, about judgment, about money. Again, Jesus didn't just come and tell us. He lived it out for us. So, words express thoughts. Jesus is the Word of God, which means He is an expression of the thoughts of God. He is, um, how about this, a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence. Now, um, somewhere in here i got a quote, and I don't see it from my brother, praise God. I know it's in here. I can tell it to you, though, because I, can, I, can, I remember it, okay? And it's from our brother Bill Johnson out at that great church in Redding, California called Bethel. And I heard him say this many years ago, and it really impacted my heart. It's a real simple statement. Are you ready? Jesus is perfect theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. What is biology? It's the study of the bios, right? Biological life. So theology is the study of God. If you want to study God, study Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 14, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence. He is perfect theology. If there's something in your theology, there's something about God that you believe that doesn't line up or can't be found in the life of Jesus, then your theology needs to be corrected. All right, that's good. Praise God. <laughs> oh, praise God. I want to find that quote so I can put it up there and let you see it. There it is. Praise God. All right. Jesus is perfect theology. Bill Johnson. Amen. And I love that quote from him. It's one of my favorites, if not my favorite from him. So, let me quote another great Bible teacher, international uh, minister. Uh, this is our, our dear sister Marilyn Hickey. And um, I heard her teaching uh, some time ago. And man, she said something that brought tears to my eyes. And she was talking about in, in, the, in the early days uh, of her faith and her walk with the Lord, that she was so confused about what church to go to. And there, you know, there's so many different, you know, in, in her town there, so many different places to go. And, 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 and what she really wanted was just to find God. Um, and and, and she didn't, it didn't really matter to her where he was. She just wanted to know where he was so that she could go and find him. And so the conversation as she was praying and crying out to God from her heart, she, she literally said, she goes, God, where can I find you? You know, can I, if, can I find you in the Catholic church? If I can find you in the Catholic church, I'll go there. Or there's a lot of Baptist churches. If I can find you in the Baptist church, I'll go there. And, and she named off, you know, all these, you know, different ones, the, the Lutherans, the Methodists. And, and again, not, you know, this is not about the denomination. It's about what the Lord told her, okay? And, and, and her attitude in this conversation, this prayer to the Lord was, you know, basically, you know, tell me where you are, tell me where I can find you, and that's where I'll go. And this is what Father God said to her. You can find me in my word. Wow. You can find me in my word. Now, that's, that's, Father's not telling her to not go to church. That's not the case, right? But there are a lot of people who've been in church their whole lives and they still don't know God. A lot of people who've been in church for decades and they still hadn't found Him. They don't have that, that loving, intimate, personal relationship with Him. So go to church, please. Find the one you're supposed to be in and, and get hooked up and do what God's called you to do. But if you want to find God, you're going to find Him right here. And if you don't find Him here, you're not ever going to find Him 
no matter how awesome the church or pastor may be. Okay? Now, turn with me, if you will please, to John chapter 18. John 18. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Are you thankful for the Word tonight? Praise God. I am so thankful for the Word of God. You ever stop to think where we would be if we didn't have the Word of God? We would be left to try to figure all this stuff out on our own. And it's sad to me when I still see so many people in life, so many people for that matter, who are born again in the church, still trying to figure things out on their own, still making up life as they go along. My friend, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. All right, John 18, I'm going to read three verses here really just to get one phrase, but it's good enough, amen. Verse 36, it says, Jesus answered, this is when he was on trial before Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Remember, in this world, but not of this world. Pilate, therefore, said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That I should bear witness to the truth. I'm going to do it quick. I've told the story probably too many times here recently. But remember my story about replacing some of the fencing in my backyard? And I tried to get by with leaving the 4x4 post and just filling in with new fence and stuff between them. And that went really fine until there was one post so bad that I had to put in a brand new straight post. And when I put in that brand new straight one, all the other ones looked terrible. Why? Because I finally put a post in that bore witness to the truth. That post was true. That post was straight. I cemented it in the ground. Uh, it, it, it was plumb uh, and, and perfect. And now that witness made the others um, you know, look, expose them for what they really were, crooked. All right? So Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now this is, this is the phrase right here. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? And when he had said this, Pilate said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So this is a very important question. What is truth? What is truth? More and more today we hear people talk about their own truth or their version of truth. They'll, they'll even you know, take their opinion and try to make their opinion truth. And so if they're having a discussion with somebody who disagrees with them, you know, they, they say things like, my truth or the truth as I see it. You need to be very, very careful because here is the reality. There's only one truth. Amen. Lots of opinions, lots of ideas, lots of philosophies, uh, lots of, of ways of looking at things and saying things. But the bottom line of it is there is only one truth. And so, you know, remember, Pilate's in the days of, you know, all these different philosophers and, 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 and people, you know, batting the subject around. It was something that was you know, spoken of 
uh, in and around Rome and, and you know, this pursuit of the truth. And, and um, you know, even in our day and age, you know, we hear you know, shows like the truth is out there, we're going to find it, you know, these kinds of things. Well, again, there is truth out there, but it's not you know, in outer space. It's right here in the Word of God. Okay, so let me show that to you just point blank in a scripture. I'm going to run through a couple more now. John 17, 17, write these down. Jesus speaking, he says to his Father, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So Pilate, here's your answer. What is truth? The word of God is truth. If you want to know truth, you can find it right here. Why is truth so important? Well, it's important for a lot of reasons. Number one, the Bible says if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Number two, we know that our enemy, the arch enemy of God, our adversary, our enemy is a liar and a deceiver. He invented deceiving, he invented lying, and he wants to manipulate and, and, and make your life miserable, ruin your life if he can, but the only way he can do it is if he can deceive you by lying to you. What is the greatest defense against his lies? Know the truth. If you know the truth, if you know the truth, you're in a better position to defend yourself from a deceiver and a liar than you're in if you don't know the truth. People who don't know the truth are vulnerable to their enemy. If you don't know the truth, the Bible says ignorance gives the devil an advantage over you. And so the truth is extremely important, again, for many, many reasons. It's very easy for us. Listen to me. I've been deceived before, and I, I never want to be deceived again. What does that mean? What does it mean to be deceived? To be deceived means to think something is true that's not true. To believe something's right that's not right at all. To think something works one way when it doesn't work that way at all. That's what it means to be deceived. Brother Keith Moore says, if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be. That's the power of deception. We think we're right when we're really wrong. Okay, And so obviously we do not want to live our lives in such a way as to think we're right when we're really wrong, to think we're on the right path when we're headed down the wrong path, to think that we're on a, on a pathway that leads to life when we're really on a pathway that leads to destruction and nothing good. So we, we need the truth in order to defend ourselves from the lies. We need the truth to be able to live the life of freedom that God's created us to live. We need the truth so that we can, we can you know, know that what we're doing is, is right and true because it lines up with the Word of God, which is truth. Now, we're, we're kind of coming full circle on some of these things. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, and this was uh, straight to Thomas, but the other disciples were present. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So notice, His Word is truth. Jesus is the Word made flesh. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. I am the truth and the life. Amen. His Word will show you the way. His words are the words of life. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. So Jesus says, as the Word made flesh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Okay, let me show you one more verse. We've looked at this one already. We'll look at it again real quick. Ephesians 4, I say we've looked at it already. We looked at it, I think, class 1 or 2, um, maybe 3. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Here the Scriptures say, but you have not so learned Christ. And for those of you who will recall, in that class that we looked at this verse, I don't remember exactly which one it is right now, we said that word learned is the word manthano. And it is one of our key 
root words in the original language that mean disciple or define discipleship for us. Okay? Now, let me... Um, I've been uh, teaching the last two weeks uh, in... Uh, not on Mondays, but on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays at the Foundry. I've been teaching on the importance of giving God place in your life for Him to do in your life what only He can do. And we could spend the rest of our time together this evening. Matter of fact, I preached for the better part of a year on Sundays um, on this subject. So I'm not, uh, there's a lot in the Bible about this, but let me just try to hit a couple of high points for you. All this began with, with the Lord speaking something to my heart. And he said this, he said, um, my people want me to do things in their lives that they haven't given me place to do. In other words, you know, people are wanting God to fix all these things that are broken, you know, restore all these things that have been um, you know, uh, destroyed or, or separated or what have you. Um, but they don't want to give him the place in their lives, the room in their lives, so that He can do that. And, and so the Bible has a lot to say about the place that you give Him. Place means the priority. Place means the, the value, the esteem, the honor, the worth, um, the, you know, how, you tr- how you treasure uh, Him or lack of treasure for Him. And so it can be, again, we've talked about deception already tonight. It can be very deceptive because... You know, it's easy for us to say and even think, you know, that, that God is everything and He's our all in all and He's, you know, the best thing and most important thing in our lives. But, you know, just take, I don't know, if you're awake, what, what should we say, 16 hours a day, sleep 8 hours. Of those 16 hours, how many of those hours are devoted to you and your own interest how many of those hours are devoted to, to your hobbies and television and Facebook? How many of those hours are devoted uh, to um, thinking about yourself, thinking about other people, compared to how, how many of those hours and how much of your time, effort, uh, you know, time, talent, treasure uh, is devoted to God? Um, and, and if you really start being honest with yourself and let the Holy Spirit help you, uh, you, you may be shocked at how little room and how little place you give Him in your life. And so this is why um, there are a lot of people who uh, you know, are mad at God because He didn't fix something in their lives that, that they never gave Him place in their lives to fix. Um, for instance, the Bible says that, that He'll keep that which you've committed to Him. See, we want Him to preserve things that we never commit to Him. We want to manage it and control it and be in charge of it and, and get whatever benefit you know, we want out of it until something goes wrong and then get mad at God for allowing it to happen or, or for, for not you know, fixing it for us. When we never gave Him room, we never invited Him in, we never allowed Him to, um, to, to be involved in that part of our lives in any way. All right. So when we talk about giving God place, it is so, so, so important. And if Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, right? And now we have the Word of God in written form. And I'll show you in a minute that this book is living and alive. 
that it is the Word of God, then the question begs to be asked, what place are you giving the Word of God in your life? Because the reality of it is this, you can't give God place in your life that you haven't given His Word. And, and that's, again, this very deceptive thing that, that we, you know, uh, you know, we give God all this time and place, but you know, if, you, if you're not giving His Word place, the Lord spoke to me something when I was a teenager, and, and I guess it was similar, I never really thought of it to right now, that that was kind of similar to, to uh, Sister Marilyn Hickey's moment. You know, um, but the Lord told me, He said, you'll never spend more time uh, you know, with me than you spend in my Word. You'll never spend more time... In other words, you'll never be more committed to Him than you're committed to His Word because He is His Word. He is His Word. So, I just want to encourage you tonight, and I'll put it up on the screen. I've got a few uh, statements about this. Give God and His Word the place they deserve in your life. Make His Word your final authority. Allow His Word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. In every situation. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 uh, mentions this idea of what does the Word say? The simple question, the simple question you should ask for everything that has anything to do with you. What does the Word say? The simple question that I should ask, the simple question that you should ask for everything that has anything to do with you, what does the Word say? If you've got some situation in your family, some situation uh, on your job or, or in your finances, some, some issue with your body, some itch, issue with your mind, you know, we go Googling it. We go trying to find somebody else that's faced similar charges. We, we go, you know, trying to look at what the survival rate is, what the symptoms are, all these other things. In other words, we ask anybody and everybody uh, that we can find on the Internet or, or you know, uh, Mama Nim's neighbor that had an aunt that once dealt with a similar situation, but we never consult what the Word has to say. And here is the amazing thing about the Word of God. It has something to say about everything that has anything to do with you. So we need to find out what the Word of God has to say. What does the Word say? What does the Word say? Praying should not be our last resort. Sometimes you hear people say, there's nothing left to do now but pray. Praying shouldn't be the last thing we turn to. It should be the first thing we turn to. You know, when, when we've exhausted every other avenue and we decide we're going to try to drag ourselves into church and see if God has anything to do to help us, my friend, it may be too late. The first thing we need to know is what does the Word say about these things? My situation, my circumstances. What does it say about your worth? See, we, we've believed for too long what our past has told us about our worth. We've believed too long about what our reputation and other people that, that we have respect for still, how we think they look at us and what they believe about us. We've believed too long our own opinions or the opinions of others about so many things that have to do with our life and our worth and our identity. What does the Word say about your worth? What does the Word say about your acceptance? 
What does the Word say about your ability? What does the Word say about your freedom? What does the Word say about your right standing with God? What does the Word say about the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues? What does the Word say about your salvation? What is, again, this is the most important question. And yet, so few people ask it. And then even at times when they do, they don't really know enough about what the Word says to get the answer that they're looking for. All right, now let's all turn Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Now, let me, um, if I could, for just a moment, talk to you as ministers. Okay, remember I told you in the beginning that these classes um, are taught from the perspective of equipping you to be a disciple maker. Discipleship class is not just about you and me participating in God's discipleship program, but it's about us becoming instrumental, ministers of reconciliation disciple makers it takes a disciple to make a disciple now along the way my prayer is that you will get a whole bunch of personal benefit from this but remember all effective ministry is an extension of your personal walk with God so the more you grow in the things of God the more effective you become in doing the work of the ministry but for a moment now, just as direct as I can, I want to talk to you about this word of reconciliation and, and having confidence in God's Word as a minister. We need to have confidence in His Word for our own selves and for our own lives. But when you sit down with somebody to help them with their life, they don't need to know what you as a personal individual think about it. If you just tell them what you think, it's not going to be as if God Himself is speaking through you to them. But if you can take what God says about their situation and speak that to them, now, what I have seen in ministry, I've been uh, involved in addiction recovery ministry for a few decades now. And I have had the privilege and honor of, of teaching and training uh, in, in some cases very small ways, in other cases very big ways, um, a, a lot of men and women. Uh, to work in that area, that field of the ministry of reconciliation. And one of the most important things that I can ever instill in them is a confidence in the Word of God. In other words, that the Word of God will fix what's broken in any life and in any situation. If people don't believe the Word of God can do it, then they may still use the Word of God but they'll use it almost as an alternative. 
they, it's almost like they'll apologize for saying, oh, and by the way, if you're interested in this and some people aren't, you know, you might could find some comfort in the Scriptures. You know, they, they kind of water it down and, 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 and mealy-mouth it. Again, no, 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 no. This is the eternal Word of God. All right? And, and so we've got to understand that we've been equipped with the Word of Reconciliation to do the ministry of Reconciliation and, and it's basically the, the only equipment you need. Amen. Obviously the Holy Spirit, but I'm yet to give it if you've been born again. He lives and dwells inside of you. And if you'll surrender to Him, He will fill you to overflowing. Okay? So listen then to this passage in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. This is, this is the Word of God. It's, it's not like any other book that you will ever pick up and read. There are Good books. The Bible is more than a good book. It is the living and powerful Word of God. So this Word is alive. And it is alive with power. But we also see that it's sharp. Here it says sharper than a two-edged sword. The idea behind a two-edged sword is that it has a sharpened blade on either side. Most of the time, like a kitchen knife, if I'm holding up the blade of a kitchen knife, it'll be sharpened on one side and blunt on the other. A two-edged sword is sharpened on both sides, meaning it cuts coming and going. Alright? So, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. We may say it like this, it's sharper than a surgeon's scalpel. Or, we now have laser knives and gamma knives, things that are much more precise and, and much more uh, powerful, if you will, as far as cutting things you know, intricately and delicately. Um, so you may say it's sharper than a, a surgeon's scalpel, a laser knife, a gamma knife. He's just talking about the ability of the Word of God to cut through. And notice it's able to cut through even to the point of separating uh, the part of you that's spirit from the part of you that's soul. Now, we will spend some time looking at the three dimensions of your being, of your existence. We've already mentioned those a time or two. Your spirit, you possess a soul, you live in a body. All of that comes together in one person, and sometimes it's hard for you and me to recognize what's physical, what's mental, what's spiritual as far as issues and problems in our lives. I have good news, news for you. The Word of God has answers for all three dimensions of your being. Proverbs 4 and 23 says it's life to those that find it and health to all their flesh. We see that it will separate the part of you, uh, that spirit from the part of you that soul. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ today who teach the spirit and the soul as being the same thing. They absolutely, positively are not 
two separate uh, uh, elements of your dimensions of your existence. So we see that the Word of God is able to distinguish, divide, separate that one from the other. And then he talks about the joints and the marrow. Well, now we've just went from spirit and soul to the body. But, but not just the body, all the way down to the joints of the body and the marrow and the bones. So if you know anything about the physical body and what the Word of God says about it, the Bible says that life is in the blood. And then, then we know that, that in the blood is the blood cells. And if you understand your biology, you know that the blood cells are generated in the marrow of the bone. So he's saying all the way down to the very place from which physical life springs forth, that is not out of the reach of God's Word. In other words, God's Word can penetrate all the way to that level, that dimension of your existence and, and bring healing and bring strength and bring correction. Uh, it, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal what the Word of God is capable of doing. But it doesn't end there. It goes on to say it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. To discern something means to be able to look at, at a thing that's confusing and, and, and recognize clearly what it is. Something that other people may look at and say, I have no idea what's going on there. I have no idea what the problem is there. Um, our uh, uh, associate pastor here, Mark McClellan, he, he is so gifted in, in you know, something, a machine that's broken, something that's not functioning correctly, um, and, and being able to look at it and discern, figure out, identify what is, is really wrong um, and, and how to fix it. Uh, he recently fixed a large screen television. You know, you got this big TV, you know, maybe, I don't know if it was this big, maybe bigger, and the thing won't work. And you think, well, something's wrong with this screen. Now, nothing was wrong with the screen. It was a little part about that big that he had to replace in the board and, 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 and solder it in. So when the Bible says the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, he's saying that the Word of God is, is able to accurately identify um, what's uh, you know, wrong, what's broken. Remember, from your heart spring the issues of life. Proverbs 4. And I think 23 tells us this. So if, if, if we have issues in our lives that, that we can't figure out, that we don't know how to correct, that we don't know how to change, we keep doing things that we no longer want to do, but we just keep doing them and we can't figure out. In other words, we need something that can identify for us what the real problem is and fix it. And that, my brother, my sister, is the Word of God. The living, powerful, sharp Word of God. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay? Now, this next part here is important. When we talk about intent, okay, it's, it's, intent has to do with meaning. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm sure, like me, um, you've probably said things that you didn't intend. Uh, and I'm not making excuses for anybody. We need to watch what we say and how we say things. But it's very easy for us to not say and do things that are a reflection of what we truly intend to do. So 
the Bible, again, these are real human issues. These are real problems that, that sometimes people struggle with and, and are miserable with for decades in their lives. And the answer to cutting through all of this, identifying what the real problem is, um, do you realize that so much of physical illness has nothing to do with the physical body, has nothing to do with the screen you see, it has to do with things in the suche, psychosomatic illness. Suche is the Greek word for soul. Soma is the Greek word for body. A psychosomatic illness is a physical illness that is a result of something going on in the, in the mind, emotions, and, 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 and will of a man or a woman. So again, we could spend a lot of time here. I'm just trying to show you that when He gave us His Word, to do what He's called us to do. He gave us what we need to do it effectively, fruitfully, bountifully. Now, how about this? Um, You may not understand the Bible, but uh, but the Bible understands you. I've said that over and over again, especially to people who are new to the things of God, new to the Word of God. You know, they pick up the Bible and they go, man, I don't understand this, Pastor Mark. Well, you may not understand it, but it understands you. Keep reading. <laughs> There's this word that's living, think of it, and it's not, that it is, it's not that it's like food, it is food. It's not something you can physically eat, but your spirit feeds on it. Uh, your inward man feeds on the Word of God. And so we need to be taking this word in because just like vitamins to our physical body, just, just like healthy foods to our physical body, um, the Word of God will be these things to our spirit, our soul, and our physical body. So I mentioned it's Proverbs 4.22 that the Word of God is health to all our flesh. Now, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Amen. Turn with me there, please. Praise God. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Amen. I'm going the wrong way. Praise God. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll give you a minute to turn there. We're going to spend a minute or two uh, with these verses. Oh, man, I just released in my faith that you're getting something out of this tonight. My prayer is that um, just us spending some time talking about the Word of God, that it'll stir up your heart to hunger for it and desire it more and more and more. Amen. That you would fall in love. Can can you love the Word of God? Can you love Jesus? Amen. Yes, you can love the Word of God. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here we see it again that the Word of God is what equips us to do the job that we've been given to do by God. Now, all Scripture 
All Scripture means all Scripture, praise God, is given. It's a gift. It's a gift. We need to, re- we need to receive it and be thankful for it. Remember what our mamas taught us when we were little. Somebody gives you a gift. Receive it and be thankful. Amen. Well, the Word of God is one of the greatest gifts you've ever been given. Receive it and be thankful for it. But the Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He goes on to say that it's profitable. Anybody listening tonight that's ever owned a business, you understand profit may be better than those of us or the rest of us, or I have owned a business, so I understand profit from a business perspective. So profitable means gain, advantageous gain. It'll, it'll produce benefits in your life, um, so it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, that sound teaching. We've talked about that, systematic teaching. It's profitable for reproof. Um, this means to show you, like we said in Hebrews 4, where you're wrong and need to be corrected. But it also is profitable for correction. So it's one thing to know there is a problem, but it's another thing to fix that problem. So what he's saying here is that one of the benefits, one of the advantages, one of the, 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 the ways that we profit from the Word of God is that the Word of God will show you where, it's wrong, where you're wrong, but then it'll also bring correction to that problem. I uh, remember the first time my uh, older brother, Matthew, introduced me to the concept of, um, of, of, of a software, computer virus software. Um, my computer was, was uh, it, it was just slow and doing all kind of wrong stuff, you know. And um, I asked him to look at it for me, and he said, oh, you got a virus. <laughs> what? You know, my computer's sick, right? And um, I said, man, what, what am I going to have to do? And he goes, well, i got some antivirus software we'll put in there. And, um, and, of course, again, we know that we take these things for granted now. But all this is the first time. This was new to me, right? So he puts this software in my computer, and that software goes and finds the problem and fixes it. See, that's what the Word of God does. That's reproof and correction. That virus software brought reproof and correction to my computer. The Word is also beneficial, profitable, advantageous for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. Now, what we're going to learn throughout our time together, and we mentioned it in 2 Corinthians where he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when you're born again, you become the righteousness of God. Right with God in the eyes of God before Him. Okay, That's given to you as a gift. The only way to be right with God is to receive the gift of right standing with God that Jesus bought and paid for at extremely high price and cost uh, to receive that gift from Him. But notice, it's one thing to be righteous, to be given the gift of righteousness, it's another thing to have instruction in righteousness. It's, it's kind of like if you get a new tool, um, but you don't know how to use it. What do you do? You need instructions. Just because you don't know how to operate that new tool 
doesn't mean it's not yours. You need to learn the instructions on how to operate in something that you've been given. And that's what the Word of God will do. You've been made righteous. A lot of righteous people, you'd never know it by their behavior. That's why, remember what we said last week again, we don't judge people, we don't evaluate people, we don't assign worth to people based upon what we can see about them uh, by their outward appearance. Because a man or woman could be absolutely as righteous on the inside as Jesus Himself, but that not yet reflect uh, you know, in their daily lives. Uh, and so what do they need? Among other things, renewing of the mind, but instruction in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly, not just partially, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, one of the key words also in this passage is the word inspiration. Inspiration. We think uh, inspire, and uh, inspire means, uh, or inspiration, I'm sorry, uh, here uh, means breathed. So, loosely translated, and we're going to do more than loosely translated before we're finished, but loosely translated, he's saying that all Scripture is breathed, given by breath of God. That, that Father God breathed this out of Himself. Okay? So, with that basic understanding, we're going to develop a more advanced understanding. But with that basic understanding, I want you to think, even now as we finish this class, that every time we say something from the Word of God, that it's Father God in heaven trying to breathe something into you. He's trying to... something into your spirit, Right? His words are spirit and life. He's trying to breathe the spirit and life of His Word into your spirit for it to come alive inside of you. So all Scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration. Now, I'm going to put some transliteration, and, and that's just simply taking the Greek alphabet and converting it into English. And this is the Greek word, uh, I've got a, several things up here that it's easier for me to do it this way. You know, again, write this down, take a screenshot of it with your phone or something. But inspiration here in the original language is theonoustos. Okay? Theo meaning God. P-N-E-U is the root of pneuma. Think a pneumatic tool, air. Obviously, it's not God air, but, but in this case, God breathed. Theo Neustus, okay? So Theos is God. P-N-E-U without the M-A is speaking of a dynamic movement of air. That's where we get this meaning, God breathed. Now, rarely will I do this. But when I say do this, do what I'm about to do in these classes. And what I'm about to do is I'm about to read something to you that's it's probably going to take up three, maybe four, let's see here, maybe five slides. Um, but first of all, I want to introduce you uh, to, if you've never heard of him, uh, another international minister uh, named Rick Renner. And you can sign up for his daily devotionals. I mentioned this, I think, in my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction. 
Um, and he will send you these devotionals to your phone. Um, they usually come in in the middle of the night via email. And that way they're waiting on you when you wake up in the morning. And um, this brother is a phenomenal teacher and minister of the gospel. And so this is from one of his writings on the word Theonoustis. So I want you, number one, I want you to introduce you to him because he'll be a great resource for you if you don't know about him already. But then I also want you to hear what the Holy Spirit gave him as he takes this word and, and really defines it and breaks it down, okay? So um, let's do it. So this is from Rick Renner. The root new communicates a dynamic movement of air. For example, it can mean to blow as to blow air. It was actually used to portray a musician who blew air through an instrument to produce a musical sound. There are also places where it is used to picture the emitting of a fragrance. Furthermore, the root word could be used to depict the projection of emotions. The word theonoustis is the picture of God breathing His own substance into something, just as a musician would blow on an instrument to produce a distinct sound. God mightily moved on those who wrote the scriptures, causing them to temporarily become instruments through whom He expressed His heart and will. Wow. Stop here for just a moment because the Holy Spirit just gave me a real-life, real-time example of this. A lot of you know my brother Matthew leads our worship here at Heritage. And he plays the trumpet. And his son Daniel, his youngest son Daniel, also plays the trumpet. They're both very accomplished trumpeteers. If you listen to Matt play the trumpet, then you can hand Daniel the same trumpet and Daniel play it. And although they both sound wonderful, it's a different tone. Trumpet sounds different when Matt plays it than when Daniel plays it. Noticeably different. As a matter of fact, um, I was listening to Daniel play uh, in the sanctuary, I think it was after church, and that's where I normally hear Matthew play the trumpet, is in the sanctuary. So what am I saying? Same room, same acoustic, same trumpet. And I'm like, man, that sounds really good, but it's different from Matt's. And when I asked Matt about it, he goes, oh man, Daniel's got an amazing tone. Okay, well again, you would think a trumpet's a trumpet's a trumpet, and a trumpeteer's a trumpeteer's a trumpeteer. But how one man blows through that trumpet and, and is expressing himself through it, now you take another younger man, albeit, but still a man, blowing through that trumpet, you're getting a slightly different tone, a slightly different sound. And so, you know, this is why we have so many different people that Father God blew through, amen, played through, if you will, um, to produce what we now have as the Word of God. So, I'm going to read this slide again. The Word... Theonoustis is the picture of God breathing His own substance into something. Just as a musician would blow on an instrument to produce a distinct sound, God mightily moved on those who wrote the Scriptures, causing them to temporarily become instruments through whom He expressed His heart and will. 
They were the writers, but God was the great musician who breathed upon them. His instruments. Thus, the Bible is God's message delivered through human writers to us. And just as the word pneuma can carry the idea of a fragrance, the word was breathed from God and thus carries His very essence and fragrance within it. Since the word pneuma can also portray the projection of emotions, we know that, the God, that God projected the totality of His emotions into the Word when He inspired its writing. Therefore, the Word not only conveys an intellectual message, but it has God's heart in it as well. And the pneuma of God didn't create, and the pneuma of God didn't create the Scripture and then depart from it. Okay, let me stop here for a minute. Getting way ahead of myself, but it just I'm feeling inspired to mention these things. Okay. Jesus said, I have said these things to you so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be full to overflowing. So do you see how this word pneuma, it's simply defined God breathed. But the nuances of what this word means and what it communicates is both fragrance, essence, and, and, then, and then emotion. So God breathed His emotion into His Word. This is why, how about this one? I've written these things so that you can have peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. He's literally saying that the, His words, spirit and life, living, powerful, sharp, spirit, soul, body, penetrate eat deep inside of us, correct things that we don't even understand, uh, you know, what's going on you know, inside of us. And that His Word can produce the emotion of His peace. The peace of God which passes all understanding inside of you, guarding your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. All right, let's, let's go back to it. Therefore, the Word not only conveys... I jumped in the middle of this section. Therefore, the Word not only conveys an intellectual message, but has God's heart in it as well. And the pneuma of God didn't create the Scripture and then depart from it. This power, the same pneuma power that originally created and continues to sustain the universe, is still inside God's Word, upholding and empowering it to be just as strong as the day it was given. Wow, wow, and again I say wow. What did he tell Sister Marilyn Hickey when she asked, where can I find you? This church, that denomination, this place, that location? He said, no. You can find me in my word. Amen. And we see then that because the scriptures are God-breathed, they have the heart of God, the fragrance of God, the essence of God, the intellect of God, all of these things. So now, take what we're talking about. Let's go back to those verses in our minds. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. A living, breathing expression of the divine mind and intelligence of God. Praise Him. Alright, now, let's do this. Let's go uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. So, um, you're in 
2 Timothy 3 and 16. Uh, that was the last verse that we, I think, had you, had you turn to. So let's just back up a chapter and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Amen. We've got just a few more minutes, but let me at least get this part put out there. And if we have to, we can, um, you know, we can revisit this passage when we begin next week. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Here um, are the instructions. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What would equal an ashamed or embarrassed worker? It would be pretty embarrassing if you had a job to do and didn't know how to do it. A lot of people counting on you and you didn't know how to go in and, and fill the paperwork out or what have you. I'm just you know, using random examples here. So a workman that needs not be ashamed. What did he say in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17? about the Word of God, that you would be thoroughly furnished, equipped to do every good work, this Word of Reconciliation to enable you and me to be successful in this ministry of reconciliation. So notice that we're instructed here to study. Study. Now, there are people who say, I don't like to study, I'm not a studier, I've never enjoyed it. You know, there are a lot of people who start trying to make all kinds of excuses. Let me tell you something. The Word of God would never command you to do something if God did not give you the ability and the capacity to do it. So let's not be lazy about it, and, 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 and let's not make excuses, uh, and, and let's just get on with it. If you'll engage the process and put forth some effort, the Holy Spirit will come alongside you and help you every single time. I'm speaking to somebody right now. You, you are shocked seven classes in now, almost through with the seventh class, that you've lasted this long. You started the first class and you're like, ah, there's no way I can do this. And you're not even sure why you tuned in on the second class. And then the second class, some things started kind of come together. You thought, well, maybe I'll go to one more. And next thing now, you're at seven. And before you know it, it'll be class 36, right? Some of you said, there's no way I can sit through an hour and 45 minute class. And now you've done set through seven of them. You've done more than set through them, right? You've benefited from them. And then there's a whole slew of people who want to take these classes, want to be involved, but they make all kinds of excuses. That's for, that's for smart people. That's for A students. No, no, no. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Now, this ties in with instructions in righteousness. You can't memorize enough Bible verses to make yourself righteous. You, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards. As a matter of fact, the people who crucified Jesus, the, the Jewish religious leaders who crucified Jesus knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They weren't righteous. Okay? Matter of fact, they didn't hear the truth. Remember Jesus said, those who are of the truth hear my voice. They weren't of the truth. They were of their own version of what they believed, their own truth, right? How they saw it. So, it's, it's not about learning enough of the Bible to become righteous because 
There's only one way to be righteous, and that's to accept the gift of righteousness that's freely offered to you. In the same way, he doesn't say, study to be approved. That's what I think a lot of people hear. It's not what it says. He does not say, study and I'll approve of you. And until you study enough, I'm not going to approve it. That's not what God said. He said, study to reveal that I've already approved of you. Study to show that you're approved. Study so that the immorality of your approval and acceptance by me is an outward expression of life and so that everybody around you can say, there goes a lady who's God's approved of. His approval is on her. So it's, it's, it's about, again, revealing what's already yours. But notice what happens if you don't study. What happens if you don't allow the Word of God to renew your mind and, and help you grow in these things? You'll be approved of God, but it'll never be anything that you experience or enjoy or is shown forth in your life. Study, he said. Show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Why? Because studying is going to equip you to do the job and do it successfully and effectively. And then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, Amen. I think I'm going to pause right there. If we get into these next set of scriptures, it's going to take me more than three minutes. And so it's really all the time that we have left. So my prayer is that you get something out of this tonight. Um, hey, would some of you who are watching on Facebook, would you put somewhere in the comments that there was an, an error with the audio for about the first, I don't know, uh, 7 to 12 minutes, I, I don't know exactly. Um, uh, I think it was about 7 minutes. Um, anyway, um, that would be 7 minutes beyond the, the intro. And I'll try to do some things as well to let folks know. My concern is, you know, group of people, we've got groups of folks that are watching the recording. I'd, I don't want them to tune in. You've already figured it all out. Think that was no audio would go, you know, play kickball or something. All right. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this evening together. Thank you for your word. Father, we give your word place in our lives. We, we give your word uh, a position of highest authority in our lives. And Father, we demand that everything else in our lives, every other opinion in our lives, bow to the truth of your word. Father, help us bring our thoughts and thinking into alignment with the truth that we find in your holy word. Thank you, Father, that we're studying Lord, we studied together tonight. We had a good study tonight. We had good study last week. We have good studies next week. And Lord, I thank you that you're speaking to us. And things are starting to come together. Big pieces are starting to assemble with other big pieces in our lives. And Lord, I thank you that you're helping us move forward in, in, a, in a very beautiful and meaningful way, both glorifying your name and, and, and meaningful uh, to us uh, personally. And so thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you for the the 7 o'clock service that's uh, night hand here at Heritage. We believe you, Father, for many hearts and lives to be touched and changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Ready for trial part 8 coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. You be blessed.